Welcome to our final episode of the first season of You'll Think of Something. I'm Allie Perkins, a longtime talent professional with loads of experience in facilitation, training design, and program management. And hi, I'm Kara Oropalo. I'm a producer turned professor. I spent 12 years in production management at DreamWorks Animation, and now I teach creative management to university students and newly minted leaders in animation studios across the country. This is episode six, and we are talking about small businesses and creative processes in the time of COVID. But first, a reminder of what we're doing here. Uh, We are creating a podcast that will hopefully provide a space for focused discussion on how to be a productive, creative person on a team, in your own personal work, and in your life. Now, usually our conversation centers around a worksheet. But today we're doing something a little bit different to end our season. Today we're interviewing a small business owner to learn about how COVID has affected his business model and his creative process. So instead of us filling out a worksheet, we asked him to fill out one and come back to us with his answers. And don't worry, that worksheet will be available to you on our website for your own, you know, creative process in the time of COVID needs. So why are we shaking things up like this on you in the last episode? Well, we spent a lot of time talking about abstract concepts. By connecting with a real-life small business owner, we can see how those concepts translate into his creative process, as well as the day-to-day management of his work. So today we have with us Brandon Oropalo, who is also my wonderful husband, and the father to our adorable children. Hi, Brandon. Hi. Uh, But he is also a successful small business owner. Originally from Virginia, Brandon got his Bachelor of Arts in Communication from University of North Carolina. He moved to Los Angeles and bopped around as he tried to figure out what aspect of the entertainment industry interests him. And he worked on a lot of uh, uh, different projects, things like the Matrix movies, um, as a PA, and he worked the Oscars one year. Right. Um, he fell in love with Ben Affleck that year. Well, lost. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a lot of really good stories from that time. Eventually, Brandon got into social media marketing and strategy for television, working for the CW and then for ABC Television. So he was the one writing funny tweets behind hit shows like Blackish and Fresh Off the Boat. Um, and those sorts of things. Um, Anything you want to say about your time in television, Brandon? Well, I learned a whole lot about marketing and how to market yourself and what's worthwhile and what's a good way to spend your time and not good ways to spend your time. um, And just about um, what's, how to sell. I I always looked at television as like, you're telling people how to spend their evenings. Mm. So uh, I, I still think of that when I, can get into this later but when i talk about my own business like i'm still trying to convince people to choose an activity and to do something Mm -hmm. so i learned a lot about that and how to address those needs and what people are looking for when they're trying to choose their entertainment cool i like that so uh i think i can i think this this is a good way to describe it Basically, Brandon was getting tired of the world of marketing around the same time I was getting tired with the world of production. So when we moved to Dallas, uh, it provided him the opportunity to launch his own business, DFW Scavenger Hunt, 
which is a scavenger hunt company aimed at team building. Brandon, do you want to tell us a little bit about your business and why you started it? Well, sure. I mean, uh, like you said, I was, I was definitely getting burned out of marketing and I tried some marketing here and didn't go as well as I would like. And I finally was a wake up call that um, it was time to, um, it was time to focus on my own thing. And we can talk about how, you know, I struggle with imposter syndrome and, uh, and, and sometimes not even imposter syndrome, just literally didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, it was, I think you would sometimes dismiss it as imposter syndrome. I'm like, no, no, no. I literally don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but, uh, so anyway, so part of that, I, I knew that in order to kind of get past a lot of that, I had to do my own thing. And, uh, I've always been drawn to, even if we go on vacation or um, like go visit friends or something, I am very eager to like explore that town and like go to the best restaurants and find all the hidden gems and uh, those sort of Atlas Obscura kind of like weird little things and murals and sculptures and things I want to see. So I knew that was something that interested me, but I also had a, a lot of experience casually in puzzling and like building games and puzzles and working with groups who did that kind of stuff. And so that was appealing to me. And so I wanted to find a way to, to do that. And I had had some experience. Um, for example, we did at Disneyland, we did a fun um, team building exercise, which was a scavenger hunt, much like the one I have for now. So that I was like, Oh, I bet I could do that on the streets mm -hmm. of Dallas. You did that when you were working at ABC. Yeah. When I worked at ABC, we did that as a team building thing. And, uh, and I had always appealed to me. I was like, this is a really cool thing. But never really figured out how to make it something I could do until, um, we moved here and I really started to pursue it. And honestly, just, I just built one and, uh, I used a lot of the techniques that I had sort of done on that challenge, for example, but also, that I had done in sort of puzzle groups and things like that. It taught me a lot about how to build cohesive puzzles that add up to something, not just like filling out a bunch of blanks. Um, What's that called when there's a um, master puzzle that everything builds to at the end? Yeah, we call that the meta puzzle. The meta puzzle. Right. So, for example, you might fill out one page and, um, and get an answer, and then the next page and get an answer, but then on the last page, all of those four or five answers you've gotten before create one last puzzle that you have to solve. And that's what we try to do when we build uh, the ones we make for uh, local stuff. Brandon uh, was a part of a national group of puzzlers when we were in Los Angeles um, that I would commonly refer to as Puzzle Party. So did they. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So good. <laughs> um, but I thought it was so neat because basically... It was these folks who loved puzzles so much that they would write puzzles for each other and then all get together and share these puzzles. And when I say, like, it, it's like people who write the trivia for, um, you know, game shows. There were game show writers, a lot of um, New York Times crossword puzzle writers. I'll yeah. still, I still do the puzzle and see, like, names. And I'm like, oh, there goes Doug. Or yeah. things like the people's names I recognize. <laughs> yeah. that. Very smart group. Um, very intensely nerdy but all very friendly uh folks not all very friendly some of them were crotchety but um <laughs> but learned a ton from those, those yeah exactly a lot about what makes a good puzzle the, the best piece of advice i learned there was somebody told me um people people like to solve things in other words don't make it hard 
it's better to make it easy. Right. Um, if it's too easy, big deal. They get to feel good about themselves. And I always try to take that uh, lesson um, when I make stuff. It's like, nobody wants to be frustrated. They yeah. want the win. Yeah. Like, yeah. Give them yeah. the win. So that I, one, thing, one valuable thing. Yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so you want to dig into the worksheet then? Yeah, you ready? I think so, yeah. It's been some... Sometimes filling it out. So. <laughs> Good. We really missed an opportunity to make a puzzle <laughs> in or around the worksheet. You're so right, Allie. We should have thought of that. <sighs> we are not puzzlers by nature. No, not really. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, next time, Brandon. Oh, sure. Sorry that like the first letters of all the questions don't add up to yeah. something special. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're all W's. Yeah, you're right. That's true. That's so. true. Um, okay, great. So um, question number one is, what did your business model look like prior to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic? You know, to answer that question, I could go back. When the, when the pandemic hit, we were about a year old. So we had a year, 2019, of basically figuring our stuff out and growing. and so. To it's hard to define. It's not fair to say like we had an established business when when March 2020 came along. Like we were still figuring it out, and we had big plans to like grow and uh, really expand sort of our offerings, but also just the rate at which we were offering uh, entertainment experiences. But uh, we were not still, and we were not an established business yet. Um, having said that. We were really starting to figure it out. And I think that it was coming into the year and we were ready to really go and strong this year. Um, but we were, as we alluded to, we have, we've made scavenger hunts that were um, for parties and corporate events and team building. And we challenged people to go out in CFW neighborhoods and they were um, taking these binders of puzzles and they were going out into the, the communities and say, for example, the Dallas Arts District and tracking down the answers to, to trivia questions and puzzles um, and trying to solve that meta puzzle at the end, right? So we had built one in Dallas, for our Dallas, we'd built one in Dallas Arts District. We'd built one in downtown Plano, um, the Frisco Sculpture Garden. Um, we had just launched one in Grapevine. I think we launched that in February. Um, and, and nobody, except for the testers, nobody got to do it. But Allie got, yeah, to, Allie go. got to do it. Allie, Allie was a tester. It. it was my birthday yeah. scavenger hunt. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so, but it's funny. Our motto was literally think outside. And uh, so um, I'm so very proud of that motto, but we have stripped it off the website for now. Um, but that's how it worked. We asked people to get together in big groups and uh, huddle together of these books and <laughs> touch breathe each on each other and touch <laughs> each other and hug when they finished. And, uh, and, and yeah, and, and just leave the house, honestly. Yeah. Which was the key to what we were saying, like, get out of the office, like, go be somewhere with other people and do things. So clearly we had um, make some changes. Which I think is a really nice segue into question number two, um, because if your entire business model was based on people being outside and being in close proximity to each other, um, then the restrictions that got put into place uh, when COVID-19 hit uh, were obviously, you know, counterproductive um, to that end. So 
what were the immediate impacts of the pandemic on your business? Right. So, you know, now it's funny because now outdoors, you think, oh, we can do stuff outdoors. Um, Maybe not exactly what we do, but outdoors then was terrifying, right? Like in March, April, people were like, we can't leave our house. We're sheltering in place. Right. And so, and that was me too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to do this stuff. Yeah, right. like, I, I, <laughs> I want to meet these yeah, strangers. I don't do this. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So um, we, for, for my family's sake, I didn't want to do it. And honestly, we had, I think like three cancellations in late February. People were like, we can't do this. And there was, you know, a lot of our business was people who were coming into town for a conference or mm-hmm. um, it's a local stuff, too. But like we were like, oh, we're we're not coming or we're it's canceled or our trip is canceled or our, or our conference is canceled. So when people canceled, we said, uh, well, we'll regroup in a few weeks and then we'll, you know, we'll reschedule. <laughs> I know. Right. Pretty short sighted, of course. But um, I mean, but none of us knew when people canceled. Did it scare you? When people canceled, it scared me only in the way that, oh, no, this pandemic is terrifying. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. Not so much about the business. I I, I still was optimistic then that we would be back doing this. I really was like, I was like, oh, we'll be fine. This will this will last a couple months and we'll tread water or do some creative things for a while. But um it didn't scare me from a business point of view that much. It bummed me out. Sure. And we, but you know, I've had cancellations before, even for weather. Yeah. Like that. But, um, so it was a bummer, but I wanted to, I was always from day one, like whatever the rules are, we're following them. <laughs> so, um, I was happy to be to cancel. Right. Cause that's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> so at what point, did you decide to pivot? I mean, what were those decision points like for you? What did they, how did they manifest themselves for you? Sure. So obviously, as we talked about, like at first it wasn't my decision. It was the customer decision. Like mm-hmm. The clients were canceling. And so I, you know, I was frustrated, but also relieved, strangely enough, right? Like I didn't want to have to, figure out how to do these things safely. And um, so when they canceled, that was part of me had to say like, all right, well, what am I going to do next? And, you know, I figured out some ways to play around with it. I did some fun like games on social media. Wasn't making any money, but I threw myself into like ways to make other puzzles and writing blogs and other ways to like, work that I hadn't had a chance to work on in a while, tidying up the website and things like that, knowing and and frankly, taking care of the kids like that was part of what happened. Like it wasn't just my business that got upended. Like we pulled the kids out of daycare all of a sudden and we were focusing on lots of other things. So, like I said, I was relieved from a safety point of view that I didn't have to do these events, but also like I didn't have time to do this stuff. Um, So that was the first several weeks. And then, um, a friend of mine mentioned that she kind of created an online scavenger hunt for her, um, for her employees. And I thought, Oh, how did I not even think of that? And, uh, and it just started really ruminating on it and thinking like, well, how would I do that? What would I do? Um, so I just kind of 
tried to make one and then I tested it with some friends and was really happy with the way it had gone. Um, but I've always had a policy of saying yes when people ask me if I can do something. Um, which is why, like I said, I was relieved when they canceled because I, I, I was going to do them, um, or figure out how. or figure out how to do them. But, um, I said, well, let's figure out how to do a, a online scavenger hunt. Yes. Um, and then a few weeks into that, somebody said, well, could you do it? So I built it rather for like groups of 20 because you're on zoom. Yeah. You're like, you can't have people like screaming stuff out. Um, when it's a ton of people, but then somebody said, Hey, could you ever do this for like 60 or 70 people? And I said, yes. <laughs> and then I, and then I hung up the phone or closed that email. And I said, Oh, what am I going to do for that? But I went and spent some time and did some research and tested and uh, figured it out. And now we can do them for 60 people. We did uh, last week of October, we did two different ones for 75 people. So um, it totally works. Um, but I do. I, I want to add in on this, that, uh, when there were like logistics that you had to do to mm. pivot in that way, like you had to hire people to, so you know, to attend those hunts with you and provide backup. And so there were different, different um, challenges that you had to face because of that. You're right. Um, yeah. Personnel, um, software, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was a lot of figuring new ways to do the same thing. And and that's true of the entire sort of online thing. Like it, I build them differently. Right. And not, I don't just mean like, Oh, I use a different platform or whatever, but like the, the way that they, the games work is different. Yeah. Um, but also the way you build them. It's so interesting. Cause like one of the things that Brandon learned was the first, uh, I think he used keynote. Um, the first keynote presentation he made was like incredibly heavy. Yeah. And kept crashing. And then he learned how to like streamline his slides. Right. And so those sorts of things are, I think are important too. Right. Cause I used to just print them. So that was never an issue. Yeah. Right. And now you're like, <laughs> Oh, I have to be like technically proficient too. Yeah. But it's also funny. We started this conversation talking about uh, imposter syndrome and you not knowing or feeling like you didn't know what you were doing. And so, you know, having this policy of saying yes, it's like, almost like you're inviting imposter syndrome. You're like, come at me. I know I don't know what I'm doing. Let's see what happens. Um, And I do want to point that out just because it seems like you were already from a psychological perspective prepared for the immediate need of change. Just saying, I'm already used to saying yes to this stuff. So yes, let's keep going i mean there was it almost knowing that now about you it would have shocked me if you had not you know kept on going that's a nice thing to say (laughs) well you're welcome (laughs) but even even when we're doing the um the outdoor ones we had uh one uh last october where we were all set to go and then the weather report was just dismal and it was for a group of like 90 people, I think. And uh, that's like a wedding. Yeah, It was massive. And uh, and I, like they were freaking out, too. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to my client and she was great to work oh, with yeah. and super cool. But, um, you know, three days before, two days before I said, we can't do this outside. And she said, I agree. And I said, I tell you what, we'll figure out how to do inside. So we built 
a friend of mine was in town and uh era and he and i um we spent like a good 24 hours just like changing it to an indoor experience shout out to adam papa yeah thanks, thanks adam. adam um loyal listener um <laughs> You can get back to WTF now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So number four, what did you have to change in order to meet your customers' needs? I think it'd be more accurate to say we changed to meet our own needs and we just found different customers. <laughs> Honestly. Why do you say that? Well, our customers, there were no customers, right? <laughs> like nobody wanted to do what we were offering, right? Yeah. Yeah, you were like the movie theater yeah, of yeah. outdoor activities. Yeah, we were selling ice in, in Alaska. Yeah, something like that. No. <laughs> we were selling poison. Like, honestly, like mm-hmm. nobody wanted to go outside. So we, in order to, to survive as a business, we said, well, okay, well, who does want to do something? And what are they looking for? We pivoted the business to be entirely remote. Um, we created new scavenger hunts from scratch. Uh, these were stuff that could be played over zoom, uh, played inside your home. Um, I had to learn a lot and Carol alluded as far, like I had to learn a lot about the new design and I had to switch the way they work. Like, um, I have an example, um, with the outdoor one, we had a game where I would take five pictures of signs and there were blanks. I would, I had eliminated letters from those signs and you would go out onto the street and track down those signs. And then once you found the five missing letters, you would spell a word. Can't do that game when people are playing from home. There's two reasons, right? Like one, you don't know what they've got in their cabinets and, and refrigerators and things. So you can't assume that they're going to be able to go track down um, a, a bag of Oreos. Right. Mm-hmm. Then the other problem on top of that is like, if you show them, um, a, a Oreos with a missing R they're like, Oh, that's Oreos. They're not going to track anything down. Right. So it, it took me a while to figure out like, Oh, you need to play these games differently. It used to be go. Um, it used to be go find the, the item and answer the puzzle. These are answer the puzzle, then go find the item. So it's a total switch of the way the game works. Um, and then that meta, we cheat a little on the meta now from a game design point of view, right? Like you earn a bonus word, but it doesn't really come from the puzzles you saw before. And those bonus words do play out, pay off in the end, but it's not because of, and this is like nitty gritty puzzle design stuff. So it doesn't matter. But from a purist point of view, I'm always, I'm like, I wish they really tied in a little better, but, and I've talked to other puzzle designers about that stuff and they laugh, but we all have tried to figure out how to do that and nobody's cracked it yet as far as I know. For our puzzle purist audience. Right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> the good news about switching to remote was that suddenly my audience was national, international, right? I, um, I was only able to really market to people here in Dallas and that's great for, for what we were doing, but you know, I didn't have a network really in Dallas yet. I had a network all over the country of people. And suddenly I was like, uh, these were people who 
wanted to support me, friends who wanted to support what we were doing. But really all they could do was like like a Facebook post or, or share it even. But suddenly all of my friends and former colleagues and people could hire me and they wanted to. And it was really great. And, and it wasn't all just out of the goodness of their hearts. Right. Like people, especially like March, April, when we were all feeling good and watching John Krasinski and and just hugging each other, like really wanted to like get through this all together. And there was definitely a spirit of that. But a lot of it was like genuine need and um, people really were happy with the product I was offering and, and needed the product I was offering. And so there was a lot of people like recommending me to their friends to um, I had a lot in the early days of like birthday parties for kids who were like friends of friends. So a lot of my business that kept us afloat those first couple months were like kind friends and former colleagues just like they're hiring me or recommending me and it made a huge difference and it gave me just like a nice spirit boost right would you have landed in this new and improved model or would you have developed uh remote scavenger hunts without the impetus of the pandemic that's a great question i don't know um i certainly didn't have it i had my plans mapped out for 2020 and it was building, it was building new scavenger, like new neighborhoods. Like I was going to build them in Fort Worth. Um, you're going to love it when you find. I'm to do so it. excited yeah. about it. I've anyway, that's thinking way ahead. But point is I wanted to build one in Fort Worth. I wanted to build one at Fair Park. I wanted to build one in like other Dallas Fort Worth neighborhoods. Right. But I didn't have any sort of vision for anything that wasn't the core product. So, no, I don't think I would have, at least at first. But like I said, the way that so many of the things that I've done have come up, somebody asked me if I would do it. So if somebody had said like, hey, do you do anything like this? I would have said yes, figured it out. Yeah, I think it's what's also interesting here is that, I mean, you had done some hunts for some younger people, like you had done high school age students before. But this also gave you a whole new audience when you started doing birthday parties for like nine year olds. It's, it's really true. I, um, it was a new challenge, but a fun challenge. Cause yeah. I, I honestly were one of the things that, that I was struggled with, with the outdoor stuff was it was pretty hard for like a young kid to do. And I would love to like create birthday parties and things like that. Um, so it's been exciting to be able to like, it like really gives these kids something that, that they can enjoy and save some birthday parties. Um, and I say that at quoting reviews from parents, like, and it's really flattering to hear that I've saved a kid's birthday. So that's great. Yeah. It's especially because during this time, there've been so many special occasions that have been canceled weddings um, and, you know, quinceaneras and graduations. And then also for those kids that this is going to be part of their childhood memory you know like you know that this is going to be part of how they remember growing up and so that you can say like i was a part of the light in the midst of um this is is really really cool which brings me to number five which is um you made a lot of changes so what changes are you going to keep post pandemic um i don't know exactly what post pandemic means like, I don't know when that means and I don't know what that means because like 
depending on the reports, we'll be wearing masks for the next five years or, um, you know, certainly this sort of idea of, of getting back to 2019 is seems like a long way off for me vaccine or not. Like, and that might be just my own neuroses, right? Kara's laughing, but, um, I don't know what that means. Point is until I'm very comfortable with this, uh, with, with, offering what we used to offer, we're not going to do that. Right. And that's, and that's just not because not just because, Oh, I don't want to get sick. It's because I don't want to create a scenario or contribute to a scenario where I am putting people in danger. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, having said that, obviously we want to get back out there and do those again. I love doing those. They're super fun. Um, but I know that there's going to be demand for offering the online stuff for a very long time. Yeah. And that's not just pandemic. Like our, one of our first groups that we worked with was a company that worked remotely. They, oh. they were not yeah. doing that right. because of the pandemic. They had always worked remotely. They were just, everybody lived in different parts of the country and that was just how their business was run. And they were super excited to find us. Um, so to that point, like if they had found me, um, then we would have done something with them before the pandemic. But mm -hmm. Um, so I know that those companies are out there already and then there's only more and more companies like that now. Right. Yeah. Companies are declaring we're not going to be back in person until 2022, just from a practical standpoint. So I know that for the next year, at least there's going to be companies that need this stuff, and they're fun and people dig them. So I'm going to keep doing them. Um, and, and for example, like I can think of, and I'm not just like, Right now I'm like in marketing mode, but like Kara is our families all, we all live very far apart. Like this is still a fun thing you can do for happy hour with your family online. If everybody's in Michigan, Illinois, North Carolina, you know, so I absolutely see the appeal of this moving forward. And, and again, I want to continue to rely on that big network of people who are out there. So we'll totally be doing these for the foreseeable. It's also really fascinating to me that, um, we as a nation or as a, as a uh, worldwide community have suddenly realized that this is possible. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Like, I don't think that we were clued into it before. Um, and, and that's, that's wonderful for a number of different communities, like uh, work from home communities, um, women who are, you know, women who are uh, just returning to work after having children um, or people who are having to take care of family members at home. Like, I think that one of the wonderful things about the pandemic is just shown that like people can be really great workers from their homes. Um, so I think that I I'm hoping that, uh, the work from home trend continues or at least the flexibility of it continues, yes, yeah. not just for Brandon's business, but for like life in general for people. No, I agree. I still think that there were some companies who embraced it more than others. And then there was also a general, um, not fear, but a general apprehension around productivity mm -hmm. and mm. what that means when you're at home versus uh, when you're going into an office every day. And it's one of those things that's like out of sight, out of mind. And if you're not there every day, you also worry about your own progress or your own potential within the organization. Um, so yeah, that's, I do hope that this, uh, creates a more clear picture of what can be possible. All right. So you want to do number six, yeah. Tara? So 
Brandon, what guidance do you have for other small business owners or creatives who are navigating similar challenges right now? I'm flattered to be asked for advice on this overwhelming topic. Um, but my, the key piece of advice I give is stay safe. Like first and foremost, just do whatever you can to protect yourselves and others. Um, even if it means you're losing money, it's just not worth it. Like that's the most important thing is just, just keep yourself safe. Keep other people safe. I know that part's harder for a lot of us, but like whatever, whichever one of those is a better motivator for you, like keep it in mind, like be safe. Um, and then my other piece of advice is this will end and um, we will get through it. As the sign on our door says, the Karagat says, together we will see it through. It's going to be over at some point. And then I like what Joe Biden says. He says, uh, don't just keep the faith, spread the faith. So uh, let's all keep doing that together. Thanks, Brandon. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. Thanks. It is. It is. Um, I think, you know, during the job search and when I'm talking to other people who are job searching right now, I talk a lot about the highs and the lows. And I think that um, regardless of your situation, whether you've been employed the whole time or whether you've been with your family the whole time or not, um, the last uh, 10 months have been full of highs and lows for everybody. And so it's really nice to hear encouraging words like that and just um, a calm reminder that we will get through it. Yeah. And I, I do want to um, add that we have plenty of spiraling out days. <laughs> you caught me on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> that we, we have, um, it used to be like, I mean, I don't know, at the beginning it was like every three days, one of us was like, what the hell's going on? Like, what are we doing? That's a real funk. Like a real, right. like, yeah, a real funk. And I just want to emphasize that I think that's normal. Um, and that for better, for worse, we've um, gotten used to this new lifestyle for now. Um, and that those days come uh, fewer and, and far more far between um, right now. But I do think that they're still, they still happen. And, uh, and I think it's important that we recognize that that's normal. And that we can be like, I don't, I can't make a plan right now. And that's okay. It's okay. Well, I mean, it's very hard for people like Allie and me, but, <laughs> True. but it's okay that uh, if you're working on a small business or you're dealing with a creative project and you're like, I can only get through this weekend right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I hope I haven't talked about this before, but um I read somewhere, I heard somewhere, um, a psychologist talk about how trauma is really hard to identify when you're in the middle of it because your brain turns something on that's just survive mode. So when you're in the midst of trauma, you can't, you don't really know. You're just getting that one step ahead or, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and it's not until the trauma ends that you can look back on it with the full capacity of your mental space um, and say, oh, yeah, I was experiencing trauma. So um, I think that that's I think about that a lot right now, that we are just forging ahead. Right. And then we will have the mental space at some point to look back 
on this time. That's so true. I think it was probably like the first week of May when I was like, wait, we are in trauma. Yeah. Like that was, yeah. that was like, like it took a little while. And then I was suddenly like, oh, this is going to be a thing. Like this is going to be a thing that we all are going to have to deal with. We're all going to have to go to therapy for this afterwards, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you so much, Brandon, for um, joining us today, for walking us through your experience over the last 10 months and um, honestly for sharing a a story of success in the midst of the pandemic. For sure. Due to your creativity, your hard work and the support from your family and your network, which I think is super important um, to recognize as well. So awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I do want to echo here what you said about the support from the family. Like, I couldn't have done this without Kara, especially. And the kids too are good cheerleaders, but Kara, <laughs> just from a emotional support and financial support, to be perfectly honest, like we're getting through this because of her. So I'm oh, very grateful nice to you. you. I do appreciate that you recognize, like, I, I think for listeners, it's important that people understand that, like, we know not everybody has this financial stability, that you're in a situation where your small business has, has had to stop. And that you haven't been able to pivot because you need the money immediately. And that, that, that we're, we're very grateful and lucky that we're in a situation that the university of Texas, the Dallas is providing. Thanks. But, but that we, you know, we, we are grateful for that, um, that we have that stability right now. Um, not everybody is so lucky. Right. So Brandon, you're not off the hook yet. Because the last uh, section of our show, Kara and I discuss uh, what it is that we're learning this week. So we'd really like for you to join in on this discussion and share with us what it is that you're learning this week. I can tell you this. We're taping this in the second week of November. So I'm spending a lot of time checking the news and uh breaking my rules about Twitter during the day and after eight o'clock at night, um, just trying to keep what was going on. But um, one of the things that I'm learning is uh, I'm always trying to come up with new games for my puzzles. And so my brother introduced me to a show on it's, it's a BBC show, but we found it on YouTube. It's called Richard Osmond's house of games. And it is a super cool game show from the UK. Um, that is just full of the kind of puzzles that I love and the kind of puzzles that I will gladly be stealing. And in fact, stole one of them for our um, holiday hunt that's coming up. Um, So it's a bunch of creatively designed games, um, a bunch of uh, fun, just really casual gameplay. And it's a a real easy watch. Uh, If if you're looking for an easy watch during pandemic, uh, check it out. But it's also, if you want to know the kind of stuff that I enjoy that that is what i would point you towards that's awesome yeah great recommendation good job thank you here what do you got what i'm learning about this week is also television related um we've been really into lovecraft country right now which is an american horror drama television series on hbo developed by misha green yay female showrunners and it's also produced by Jordan Peele. Uh, so you can kind of get an idea of what uh, the subject matter is. So it's like this really 
fascinating story um, that's following a couple of people uh, as they move through uh, 1950s America. So it's this like really fascinating story that weaves together uh, the, the supernatural elements from H.P. Lovecraft and racism in America in the 1950s and 60s. And then it brings in these horror elements. And so it's able to marry all of this stuff together in this really fascinating story that points to systemic racism in America um, in broad ways and very specific ways. And then it attaches it to like sort of like horror tropes from movies. Um, and so I, I don't want to spoil anything. I just want to say that it is incredibly well written and it really makes you think like, I come away from that, like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I miss my women's studies classes. I miss my women in horror classes. I miss my women in film noir class because like all you want to do is dig into all of these layers and, and learn more about like, um, what was the symbolization there? Like, what was the representation of that? Um, and it also makes you want to go back in history and be like, did this really happen? And of course, um, with all of these racist elements, they really did. Um, and so it, it, it's a, it's really fascinating and eye-opening, but also disturbing. And so I recommend not watching it right before going to bed. Like I recommend, you know, giving yourself like a a Schitt's Creek buffer or something like that. Um, otherwise you just go to bed and like think wide eyed for hours about, you know, how effed up America is basically, <laughs> but it's bringing back a lot of memories of my women studies, um, my women in film minor, um, where I took classes like women in horror and women in film noir. Um, and I just like, I'd like, I want to like watch these shows and then like go write a paper about them. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's so much complexity. Like there's so much happening in here. I took for granted my women's studies syllabi. I really did. Totally. You know, now I wish I could go back and, and find them and I be know. like, what? And I even like, I'm like, I wonder what I read. Like, I don't even know. Like, I know I, I read know. like Betty for Dan, but I'm like, I don't know what else I read. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, one of my the best classes that I've ever taken is called Witches and Bitches. <gasps> it was so good. And um, this is going to date me, but we definitely um, watched Sex in the City as part of our curriculum. Was it a positive thing or a negative thing? Um, I don't think she presented it in either way. I think that we were there to give the commentary. I love right? that. That's so cool. Um, we read, but we also read things that were, um, you know, goddess inspired. So we started way at the very beginning. Um, and then we even read wicked. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, so shout out to Dr. BB barefoot Lloyd, uh, from the university of Alabama, um, and the witches and bitches class, which today, I mean, lives on an in infamy, which I think is exactly how she likes. Yeah. It. Right. That's what she yeah. wants. <laughs> And Allie, what about you? What are you learning about this week? I just finished a book called Secondhand uh, by Adam Minter, who is also the author of Junkyard Planet. And um, the subtitle of Secondhand is Travels in the New Global Garage Sale. And the book is all about what happens to our stuff when we no longer want it. How interesting. It is fascinating. And um, it's actually given me a really great lens into 
how laws and international relations and intranational relations can really affect the recycling cycle and how if we don't want or let our stuff be given to other countries, um, then we're basically just filling up landfills. And also the ingenuity and creativity and demand from other countries for our secondhand goods is overwhelming. Well, that knowledge goes into how we produce our goods every day. It's fascinating. And um, I will be thinking about this the next time um, I make a big purchase and we're about to move into a new house and you buy the most stuff when you're moving oh, into a new sure. house, right? You're like, sure. you're like, I need a shelf here. I need um, this appliance here. Or where did that thing go? And you end up buying doubles of things. And um, I think that it was really good timing for me to read this because I will think about um, what I'm purchasing to go into my home and where it might end up. Um, not necessarily next year, but five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now. So, yeah, it was really good. I cannot believe that this is our last episode. I know. Um, so uh, six episodes, first season. Um, and it was actually really amazing to end with a case study. So to really bring it home with a specific example of a creative, a small business owner, an entrepreneur um, who has walked on hot coals over the last 10 uh, months um, and transformed their business. Um, I can't think of a better example. Um, and we're frankly very honored to have you on our show. So um, thank you for being here. Um, super interesting and insightful conversation. And we'd like to share your services with our listeners. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where they can find you? Oh, thank you. And, and let me just say it was an honor to be here. It really was. Um, I, um, you guys are really fun. And <laughs> I mean, I spent a we lot of time. With, I spent a lot of time with Kara, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, she's cool. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, and I have. I just want to say about your podcast that I um, have been. I'll put this gently. I've been very surprised at how enjoyable it has been for me. Right. Because, um, you guys, what I, what I really like about your podcast is that you are both very passionate about the topics you discuss. And regardless of how much I know about that field, um, it's always exciting to hear two people who are passionate and knowledgeable talk about something that, um, that they like to talk about. So, um, it was fun to be part of that. And thank, thank you guys for listening to me uh thank y'all for listening to me um talk about my thing which i also enjoy doing that's <laughs> um, great so uh if people uh are want to learn more about what i have to offer and what we have to offer as a company um the best place to go is our website dfwscavengerhunt.com dfw stands for dallas fort worth we were established here in dallas and intended to give local um scavenger hunts but of course we are happy to serve anybody in the world we've done people from dallas here in dallas all the way to australia from uh, the state of washington to st louis missouri <laughs> um so please check us out at dfwscavengerhunt.com uh we have lots of cool hunts available we have a we're working on a holiday hunt in december which we'll be offering all month long and frankly if you want to do it in january 
let us know. We're happy to, to give it to you as well. Great for family gatherings or uh, I guess we say about the, the, um, the holiday hunt that even though our faithful friends can't gather near to us, uh, we'll still figure out a way to have fun together. So um, please check us out and, and special offer just for you'll think of something uh, listeners. Uh, there is a place on our website for a, a promo code. Just put YTOS and we'll give you 10% off of booking. So, oh, we feel so cool. Our first promo code. <laughs> We're <Right>. legit now. <laughs> so happy, happy to be a sponsor. <laughs> uh, but again, uh, thank you all for having me on. And uh, it's fun to talk about this stuff with you. No, but really, thank you, Brandon. Um, and speaking of sponsorship, um, we do want to say thank you to some very special people for um, helping us to make this season happen. So um, first on the tippity top of my list is my husband, John Michael Perkins, and he runs the Fort Worth Water Podcast, H2OMG. And he was just there with me every step of the way, helped me um, figure out what I was supposed to be doing and what needed to be plugged into what and how I could hear certain things. And he would answer all my phone calls, no matter how late they were about um, why I couldn't get certain things to work. And he was always there to help me. Um, He also had great recommendations for us. um, And really he pointed us in the right direction for a lot of things. Yeah. We're so grateful for his podcast mentoring overall. Absolutely. So thank you, John Michael Perkins. You are the absolute best. And I just want to say thank you to Brandon, not just for being here, but also for supporting all of our our work this season. Uh, I am a little bit of an overachiever and therefore an overbooker. And Brandon is so wonderful about being like, you do whatever you need to do. I will put the kids to bed tonight. I will make dinner tonight. I will make you a cocktail tonight, whatever you need. So thank you so much for that. And I also want to give a shout out to my students at UT Dallas who um, have been so great at listening um, and joining this conversation. Uh, I really appreciate your support as well. So, uh, so we're wrapping, uh, season one. We're not quite sure when season two is going to hit, but we think it'll be sometime in the spring. Um, we would love to hear your episode suggestions. What are your burning topics? What do you want us to discuss? What worksheet do you desperately need to, you know, be able to figure out something that you're dealing with in your personal life, in your business, um, in your corporate life, whatever's, whatever you've got going on. Tell us. Email us at ytos.podcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, please, please, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find your podcasts. That helps us uh, to be more visible on the chart so that we can reach more listeners and so that we can continue to do this podcast um, and have these really great discussions around topics that matter to you. So, Uh, Please just rate and review. It only takes a minute and uh, we'll be so happy that you did. Thank you so much. And, and, And with that, thank you to our wonderful listeners who have come to us this season. It's been a joy getting to know you. It's been a joy uh, relating to you on these topics um, and finding out that uh, some of these issues uh, really matter to you and hearing how 
um, our conversations have benefited you has just like warmed our hearts so much during this time. So thank you so much. Yeah. Cause the only thing better than me getting like two hours to talk to Kara about this stuff is getting two hours to talk to Kara about this stuff and getting it to sh- getting to share it with other people Yeah, because it's such robust conversation and she brings so much experience to the table. And so it's, it's just, it's really nice uh, to be able to um, expand our little discussion group. You say that, but you're the one who's like legit doing this professionally. And I'm just so grateful for what you're bringing to the table. I think you're the one who like just takes us up that extra notch, Allie. I don't know. You make a pretty sick agenda. (laughs) I do. I do. do. (laughs) For everything. It's just like, she's like, we're going to, we're going to chat tonight. Here's our agenda. (laughs) anyway thank you so (laughs) what was yeah you know i know you know know. that was great all right well thank you everyone for listening thank you for you know sharing your time with us we hope that everyone has a wonderful holiday season please stay safe please keep your families safe and we'll see you in 2021 Thank you for listening to this episode of You'll Think of Something. Just as a reminder, the views expressed in this podcast are the personal thoughts and feelings of the hosts and do not reflect those of their affiliated workplaces or larger organizations. To find more resources from the show, including the worksheet for this episode, visit ytos-podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ytos.podcast. And please email us with feedback, your worksheets or with suggestions for future shows at ytos.podcast at gmail.com and remember don't worry you'll think of something